You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Authority. Hello my radio friends, I'm so glad you've joined me today for another look at what the Bible has to say. And I hope you're well and happy and realise that God loves you. In a democracy, where does the government get its authority? Well, it comes from the people. The people vote for leaders to be their representatives. Those leaders then form a government. The government makes laws to protect and provide for the people. Then there are the police, whose job it is to enforce those laws in order to keep the people safe. It's not a perfect system, but it works. What about a dictatorship? Well, that's different. One person rises to power, often by eliminating anyone else who may be a threat to him. He then is the principal person. Everyone else is subject to his whims, likes or dislikes. Stalin, Pol Pot and Hitler were dictators. A dictatorship generally does not look after the people very well. The interests of the dictator come first. The authority in a dictatorship is the authority the dictator claims for himself. What then about communism? Well, communism is supposed to be a system of rule for the people, of the people and by the people. Everyone is supposed to be equal, although it's quite obvious that some people are more equal than others. There is a ruling class who generally bend the rules to serve their own interests. The authority of communism supposedly comes from the people, but in reality the, the authority is in the hands of the ruling class. In the world we live in, we as citizens are subject to rulers whose job it is to protect us and provide a safe environment so that everyone can live, succeed and prosper. The Bible has something to say about authority. In Hebrews 13.17 we are told, Obey your civic leaders and submit to their authority. A similar statement is made in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13 where the Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. There is, however, one exception. And that is when there is a conflict between one's duty to God 
and one's duty to man. Duty to God must always come first. The Apostle Peter made this quite clear when he and some of the other apostles were arrested by the Jewish leaders and imprisoned. Later, after a miraculous escape, Peter, as the spokesperson, declared to the Jews, we ought to obey God rather than men. That's found in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. The prophet Daniel was given a vision about an unusual power that would establish its rule over the world. It is described in Daniel 7, 8, Daniel seven twenty one and 25, and Daniel 8, verses 23 to 25. It says, This little horn power had eyes like a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully, as I, Daniel, watched, this horn was waging war with the saints and defeating them. He will speak against the Most High, that's God, of course, and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. Now this is a religious political power that will cause destruction to many people who are true to God, that is, the saints. It's a bit strange that a religious power would destroy many of the saints. So what could this religious power be? Many Bible scholars and practically all the Protestant reformers concur that it is, that it is the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I'll refer to it here on as the Roman Church. And you don't need a PhD to see why. The Church has indeed spoken boastfully and has destroyed, especially through the Middle Ages and earlier, millions of people who remain true to God. The Roman Church has claimed for itself that the Pope is God's envoy on earth and because of that the Church claims authority to act as God even changing things that are in the word of God. So who gave the church that authority? The answer is no one. The church claimed it for itself. It reminds me a bit of a children's game where one child climbs to the top of a mound and shouts out, I'm the king of the castle, and you're the dirty rascals. The Roman church claims that Jesus gave that authority, and they refer to Matthew sixteen eighteen, where Jesus addresses the apostle Peter and proclaims that the church would not be built on a stone, that's a Petros, the Greek name for Peter, 
but on himself, the rock of ages. And just to clarify the issue, Jesus spoke almost the same thing to all the other disciples, and that's recorded in Matthew 18, verse 18. No, Peter was instrumental in building up the church, but he was not given any more authority than the other disciples. The Roman church does not hide the fact that it clumsily uses the Bible as the basis for claiming authority, yet it discounts the Bible and maintains that its own traditions, known as the Majestica, are more important than the Bible. So, don't you be deceived. The Roman Church has replaced so much truth with error. Its beliefs and practices are based deep in tradition and not in what the Bible says. The Church maintains that it is only through the Church that anyone can be saved. I consider that, personally, as a blatant deception. But the Roman Church is not the only one playing that game. There are others who say that you cannot be saved unless you belong to their organisations. Do not believe them. Salvation is a personal matter between you and God. Jesus died for you as an individual. It is a one-to-one issue. No church has the right to interfere with that. Jesus didn't die for some self-proclaimed organisation, which would, if you meet all the right criteria, dispense eternal life to you. No, the claims made by the Roman Church and some others are false. They only want to suck you in. One day, when Jesus went up to the temple in Jerusalem, he was disgusted at what he saw going on in the courtyard. There was a money-making racket going on, where certain Jews were changing money from some of the worshippers who came to the temple for temple money. In so doing, they were making a tidy profit. Others were selling doves to be sacrificed as a sin offering, again making a profit. Angry at what they were doing, Jesus began to drive out these charlatans and tipped over the tables of the traders. The temple courtyard had become a marketplace, and Jesus likened it to a den of thieves. You can read this for yourself from Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. At a later time, Jesus was back at the temple, and he was accosted by some of the chief priests, scribes and Jewish elders. Obviously, they were very unhappy about what Jesus did, upsetting the trading that was going on in the holy place. They asked, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? That's Mark 11.28. 
Instead of stopping the trade that was going on, they attacked Jesus, who was trying to make things right. In reality, Jesus had the authority of the Scriptures, because he quoted from them by saying, My house, the temple that is, should be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's from Isaiah 56, verse 7. But not only that, he had all authority because he was God. There was no higher authority. Jesus announced, as recorded in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's mine. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So how did Jesus demonstrate his authority? We're going to have a little break and we'll come back to that question straight afterwards.
question I left you with just before the break was how did Jesus demonstrate his authority? Well, in many ways. Firstly, by giving the disciples and us as his followers our commission to spread the gospel message to others. Secondly, he forgave sins. Jesus, not the church, has the authority to forgive sins. It was noted that while Jesus was on earth, he spoke with authority. His teaching was different than the people were accustomed to. For, as it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. What was so different? If you care to read Matthew chapter 5, you'll notice statements Jesus made, saying, You have heard that it was said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, and then he went on to say what he said. Jesus never disagreed with what the people had been previously taught, but he amplified and explained the particular issues. But the issue today is, what is the authority in your life? From where do you have the license to do what you do? What's the authority in your life? What is the measuring stick to determine whether or not your words, your thoughts or actions are acceptable or not? The authority in my life, and of many Christians, is the Bible, because it is given by God. It is the Word of God. There is no higher authority than that. So if the Bible indicates that a certain action is acceptable and right, then I'm at liberty to do it. If God's word tells me I should do something, then I'm constrained to do it. If the Bible tells me that something is wrong to do, then I am required not to do that thing. Now, I realise that the Bible says that there are many things we should do and things we should avoid. But as a general rule and guide, there is nothing more valuable, nothing more far-reaching or concise as the Ten Commandments. Just ten rules. Live by those and you will do well. The second last verse in the book of Ecclesiastes summarises how we should live. It says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, notice what the verse does not say. It does not say, believe in God and keep a few of his commandments. It does not say, put God out of your mind, but appear to be doing the right thing. It does not say, deny God's existence 
and please yourselves. The verse says that we should fear God. That means we should honour God, respect God, and treat him not just as a friend, but as someone we look up to, someone we recognise is much more powerful, much more wise and much more intelligent than we are. And in view of the fact that everyone who has ever lived will be judged, some to eternal life and some to eternal damnation, we should actually be somewhat fearful as we will be answerable to him about what we've done in our lives. There are some religious organisations that teach that people who have not lived up to God's requirements will be given a second chance. Now I've read the Bible from cover to cover and studied it and there is nothing there about a second chance. The second chance teaching is a man-made teaching. It is deception and a falsehood. The Roman church's teaching about purgatory and stages becoming more righteous after one has died is totally unbiblical and, in my opinion, is another example of deception. That same church has fiddled with God's laws, just as foretold by Daniel the prophet. It has removed the second commandment about making and worshipping images, and to fill the gap, it has cut the last commandment about coveting in two. You know, I believe the Roman church has much to answer for. But of course, many Protestant churches have done similar. Some say, yes, uh, we must keep the commandments, but then they totally ignore the fourth one about keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. Others say, oh, the commandments were nailed to the cross, and we don't have to keep them anymore. You know, that is pure hypocrisy because they would be extremely upset if someone stole their possessions or murdered their child. Their words and their actions don't match. And then there is a third excuse. Some say, ah, the commandments were just for the Jews, thereby excusing themselves of any responsibility to comply with God's requirements today. No matter what excuses people come up with, the authority for our actions is God's word, and the Ten Commandments are part of that. The commandments were so important that they were written on stone by the finger of God when the first set was broken, instead of God saying, Oh, that was bad luck. Don't bother about them anymore. Instead, Moses was required to go up on Mount Sinai a second time and get a replacement set. God's law was then placed in a special box called the Ark of the Covenant for preservation for all time. You see, 
The law of God defines sin. It is just as bad as ignoring God's law as by breaking it. Well, with those words, we must stop today. But let me say this. May the authority in your life be God through his word. And I hope you make it your business to do what God says and not be deceived by man-made doctrines that have no connection with what the Bible says. So until our next appointment, I wish you God's blessings and peace and joy.